Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. Merry Christmas. It's here. Can you believe it? Um, you know, it's, it, it is one of those things that anticip- anticipation builds because we start thinking about Christmas earlier and earlier each year, right? Um, now eggnog lattes seem to be available in July. But here we are, Christmas Eve. And w- although there are staples of Christmas all around us, things that we see all the time, the, the one that I think of that... Um, I think for me most resonates with this idea of Christmas is what's behind me. This is a nativity scene. Now, my guess is that um, many of us have one of these in our home. Now, maybe not this size, but they sit up on shelves or in certain parts of your house. Like, this is the scene of Jesus' birth. It, It goes back literally hundreds and hundreds of years, actually. It it, it spreads out around the whole world. That nativity scenes aren't just here in Rockford and around the corner, just the United States. In fact, the oldest nativity scene in the world is preserved in Bologna, and it dates back to the 13th century. In in Aztec Stadium in, in Mexico City, they'll have the largest nativity scene, over 1,500 different statuettes. I particularly like this one. In Australia, nativity scenes are oftentimes on the beach, which doesn't sound half bad. And then uh, in Sardinia, local bakers get together and they make all of the nativity scenes, the whole thing, out of bread, which sounds amazing. See, the nativity goes back to the year 1223 when a Franciscan monk, San Francisco de Assisi, wanted to represent the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 2 specifically, because he served a, constitu- a constituency that was primarily illiterate. They couldn't read the story of Jesus. And so he thought, how can I make it come to life so that people who wander by my church would know this story of this God that came down and made himself small? that would know this story from Luke chapter two, that in those days there was a Caesar, his name was Augustus, and he issued this decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world. And everyone went to get registered, including Joseph. He came up from Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to this line, to the house of David. And he was there registering with his wife, Mary. She was pledged to be married to him, and she was expecting a child, Jesus. And while they were there, time came for the baby to be born, and the Bible tells us she gives birth to this firstborn, and she wrapped him in cloths, and she places him in a manger. This is the nativity scene. Like, The idea hundreds and hundreds of years ago was to somehow make this story come alive for people. But here's what I fear in this day and age, is that we've come so accustomed to Christmas and all the things that Christmas holds that too often the Christmas story has become just as plastic as these pieces are. That it's just a holiday special. That we forget that at one point in time, 
These people represented here were human beings, just like you, flesh and blood, just like me. And being so, I had this thought. I wonder on that Christmas, first Christmas day, the day that would divide human history, I wonder what these humans were thinking. You know that um, human beings are said to have somewhere around 15,000 unique thoughts every single day. If you were to do the math on that, you would see that that breaks down to about 938 thoughts every hour, 16 thoughts every minute. This is in just sort of a normal moment. If you add the stress of having a baby, and those thoughts can go upward of 50,000 thoughts. So what were these people thinking? I thought about it. Like, here is this guy, Joseph, here, who was just a few months earlier spoken to by an angel and told that Mary was to have a baby, but he thought to himself, wait a minute, how can that be? We have not been together. And now they have gone on this journey together, his journey of faith, and they find themselves in a barn. Now look, you don't have to be a parent to know that when you do have your firstborn, having it in a barn is less than ideal, right? And I wondered, was he disappointed at all? That what should be this magical moment had turned into something that was way different than he could have ever imagined. A pregnant wife that he cannot explain, a barn that he probably is a bit ashamed of. This is a provider we're talking about. And while we don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us what he was thinking, I know this Christmas season there are people who find themselves in this room disappointed you know what that feels like. To feel disappointed with how it's going. To feel disappointed with how it's turning out. I thought about these three. Now, we reference them as the Magi, and while, truthfully, they would not have been in this scene because we don't find them in, until some years later and the story's told in Matthew chapter 2, they're part of every nativity scene you'll ever see. And what they were were these holy men who had waited their whole life for God to show up. To show up. And so they saw a star in the sky and they went to see this child. And I wondered, I wonder what these three holy guys were thinking. They'd spent their whole life pursuing truth, trying desperately to live the right way. And I wonder if there was a sense of almost hopeful hopelessness. You know, like, where you're trying to do the right thing, to live the right way, and yet it hasn't quite been the way you hoped it would be. And while we don't know what the Magi were thinking, they came and worshiped him. I, I know in a room that size, there are people who know what it feels like to try to walk out life the right way in your marriage, to walk it out in your job and feel like it's not going the way you hoped it would go. 
hopelessly hopeful. I, I thought about this fella. Now, let me be honest with you. This is a very genu- generous representation of a shepherd. Because shepherds in Jesus' day, they weren't so clean like this guy. In fact, they lived out with their sheep or their goats. They smelled awful. They were illiterate hirelings, oftentimes foreign to that land. They were the epitome of unwanted and unwelcome, so much so that they weren't even allowed to worship in the temple. They were thought of worse than thieves and murderers. That's a shepherd. So I don't know what the shepherds were thinking when they walked into this space, but I certainly know that in a room this size, there are people who know what it feels like to be on the outside, to live your life in such a way where you have never really been invited in, where you don't feel welcome in places. And then I I thought about Mary. Like, what was she feeling? Now remember, she is a teenaged bride. She is a teenage, pregnant, betrothed woman who's been spoken to by an angel that is now carrying the weight of the world on her shoulders. All of hope for humanity rests with this little girl. And nobody's shoulders are big enough to carry that. And yet, here's where she finds herself giving birth in a barn to the hope, the light of the world. And I don't know what she was feeling. But I know there are people who walk in this space and know what it feels like to bear a burden too big for your shoulders. See, this story is not plastic. It is about a God who came and visited humanity, real people like you and me. And so it begs the question, doesn't it? Like, In this moment, with real humans, what was God thinking? I mean, this is the most unceremonious entry that a king would ever make. A baby in a barn on the backside of nowhere? Why would you do that? And I was thinking about it just this last week when these blessed devices, our phones, did actually something that I wanted it to do. It reminded me. Do you ever get um, in your photos a reminder of what happened 10, 15 years ago? Isn't that great? Like you start to scan through it and you're like, oh wow, that's what I look like before all of these meals. Or that's what I look like when I had hair. Um, This was one of those photos. I was going back and reviewing these 10 or 15 photos and it was from when our kids were really small. And I was a bit nostalgic. And for whatever reason, this photo reminded me of a moment that everything sort of clicked for me when it came to maybe what God was thinking. So Daly was little. I don't know. She probably, that's our oldest, maybe three or four. And we lived in this house that was a split-level house right here in Rockford, Illinois. I had gone downstairs, we were playing hide and go seek or some sort of game. 
And I had this idea that I would take this big red blanket, it's literally the same color as this jacket, um, and I would wrap it over myself. And when she came around the corner, I'd come out with this giant blanket. Now remember, she's four. I'm a giant to her. We are giants to our children, right? She's this little tiny human. She's running around the corner. And I come out from behind the shadows, giant, looking even bigger than I normally would to this little human being. And I go, I put my arms way open. And instead of like, yeehaw, glee, I saw her spirit turn in an instant. She looked up. And that smile turned to an instant frown. And I mean, it started to quiver. And giant crocodile tears started pouring down her eyes. She was petrified. She knew it was me. And yet I seemed so big and scary that she took steps back. And I knew in the instant, I'm like, I just ruined this game and probably caused her counseling forever. But I did what we do when we see scared little ones. I shed the cloak and I got down real low right in front of her face, real, real low, as low as I could to be eye level with her. And then I got even smaller so that she looked just bigger than me. And I said, baby, baby, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know I scared you. I know I seemed really big and scary, but I'm not. Here, let me show you. And then I got on my side and got on a little tiny ball. I said, look how small I'm all I am. I mean, you could run all over me. And she started to move towards me and then she started to climb on me and then she jumped on me and I stayed really small while she got real comfortable with this reality that yes, I was really big, I'd do anything to be with her. And I thought, is that what God was thinking? That he knew if he were to come out with all of his splendor with a giant robe on, we would take a step back. Be like, I don't know what to do with that. If he would have come with an angelic fleet of an army that ushered him into Rome and he took a throne, we would all be like, well, we don't know how to relate to that. And instead, he took the lowest form possible, a baby, so low that all of us gather around. I mean, I love it when babies are in the mall because even the most curmudgeon of us walk up to a baby and go, oh, look at that little baby. Babies invite us in. We want to be close. And this is what our God did. The Bible tells us this was his heart. In John 3, 17, that God did not send his son, Jesus, into the world to condemn it, but to save it through him. He came to save it. And he made himself so small that anyone could come to him, no matter what we were feeling. And this is what the writers of Hebrews said, but we see him for who 
for a little while was made lower than angels. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for you, for everyone. This great, big, powerful God made small. And why? So that you can know him. So that you would approach him. So that you might dare walk with him. And I'll say this, that this gift of, that comes in this tiniest of package, it is the most brilliant gift ever given to mankind because it is heaven forever. But the greatest promise is that we get to walk with God in this life and beyond, like with him all the time. But only if we choose to. See, kings demand, babies invite. Kings force you to do things, babies just say, come get near me. This tiny representation is the invitation to be with him. And this Christmas, the question is, will you? Will you draw near to this great big God that made himself small for you? And know life the way it was meant to be known. Will you pray with me? God, I am so grateful that massive gifts come in small packages. I'm so grateful that you made yourself so small for people like me. God, I pray that this Christmas season that you would make yourself known to each and every one of us and that this Christmas season we will have the courage to accept the gift the gift of life the gift of healing the gift of forgiveness this gift comes through your son, Jesus, marked by this holiday, Christmas. God, thank you for coming and making yourself known to us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.